book of Philemon. It's a very short letter uh, from the Apostle Paul. Um, So Philemon, beginning at verse 1. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in, in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who, came, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I'm sending him who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in change for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you in spirit. This is the word of the Lord. So I think that might be the first time that we've read a whole book of the Bible in one sitting here at St. Andrew's. So we are not all equal. That's a very controversial thing to say, isn't it? Uh, But equal basically means the same. And I think it's fairly obvious that we're not all the same. Uh, We're not the same height. Uh, We don't have the same intellectual ability. We don't have the same physical ability. We don't have the same gifts and talents. I am not equal to Mozart in musical ability. I don't think it will surprise you to learn that. Uh, I'm not equal to my daughter Isabel in that respect. She has ten times the musical ability that I have. The contribution we make to the world is not equal. In 1796, a man called Edward Jenner developed a vaccine for smallpox, 
And in 1980, less than 100 years later, the World Health Organization announced that smallpox has been completely eradicated. It doesn't exist anymore. It's the only disease uh, ever to be eradicated. Edward Jenner has probably saved more lives than anyone else in history. Very few people could claim to have that kind of impact on humanity. Someone might say, yeah, but people aren't equal because they don't get equal opportunities. And that's true. If someone has a very difficult upbringing or they're denied education, of course, that is going to set them back. Uh, but that doesn't negate the fact that we have different potential. I was never going to be an astrophysicist. I just don't have that kind of mind. I'm okay with that. We're so used to hearing, you can be anything that you want to be. And yes, we should encourage people, and children in particular, to aim high and be aspirational. Uh, and in most cases, actually, we're capable of far more than we could ever imagine. But I don't think that any of us have the potential to do any role or career or profession that we could possibly think of. We're not equal in that sense. And I think our culture is a bit confused because we think that everybody can be equal in every sense. But logically, we know that can't be true. However, from a Christian perspective, we are all equal in one very important respect, the most important respect. We are all made in the image of God. We are all equally loved by God. And we all have equal worth and value before God. That's not what the world says. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of people who'd say, yeah, we all have equal worth and value, but when it comes down to it, that's not actually how the world operates. It'd be lovely if it did, but it doesn't. Is a homeless person treated with the same respect as a wealthy professional? Do people treat the CEO of a multinational company in the same way that they treat the cleaner? There are some people who treat everyone equally, but it's not the norm. The American statesman Samuel Johnson once said, the true measure of a man, he was right in the 18th century, he'd probably say person now, but the true measure of a man is how he treats someone who can do him absolutely no good. Well, I don't think there's anyone that can't do us any good, but I understand what he's getting at. Um, if I see someone who treats everyone equally, my respect and admiration for that person skyrockets. I expect it's the same for you. But our society is not one where everyone is treated with the same dignity, respect, and love. And in the Roman world, it was even less so. And nothing demonstrates that more clearly than the prevalence of slavery, an economy that exploited uh, vulnerable people and treated them with the utmost disdain. Well, this letter from the Apostle Paul to Philemon uh, is the shortest of all Paul's letters, and it drops a hand grenade, if you'll excuse the anachronism, into a culture uh, that accepted the premise that some people are more valuable than others. What we're going to see is the wonder of Christian fellowship and how it radically contravened the norms of Roman society and it radically contravenes the norms of the society that we live in today. So firstly, we need to sketch a brief outline of the situation. Uh, so Paul's letter is addressed to Philemon, uh, a wealthy Roman citizen uh, living in Colossae. He'd met Paul probably during Paul's mission to Ephesus 
And Philemon had become a follower of Jesus. In fact, even a leader. There was a, a church meeting in his home. And in the Roman world, everyone who had money owned slaves. And Philemon owned a slave called Onesimus. And something happened. We don't quite know what. Onesimus wronged Philemon in some way. He might have stolen from him, may have cheated him. Uh, but whatever happened, Onesimus felt that he needed to run away. And so that's what he did. He left. He took off. Now, Paul was in prison. Again, we're not sure where. A lot of people think he might have been in prison in Rome. Uh, we know he was at one stage. That's a possibility. I'm persuaded by N.T. Wright, who thinks that uh, Paul was actually in prison in Ephesus at the time. Uh, Ephesus was just a three-day walk from Colossae, where Onesimus had run away from. Uh, it's difficult to imagine that an escaped slave would have the resources to get from uh, Colossae, which is inland Turkey, all the way to Rome. Quite a long journey. And whether Onesimus had gone to see Paul or whether he'd simply stumbled across him, we're not sure. But it's very often the case that God will providentially bring us to the, into the path of someone who will have a profound impact on our lives. Uh, I once uh, visited a man who was in prison in uh, La Paz in Bolivia. Uh, he'd been uh, found guilty of smuggling cocaine. Uh, the man's name was Jonas. Uh, he was Swedish, and he'd been sentenced to six years. And shortly after arriving at this hellhole of a prison, he was unable to speak Spanish, so he couldn't communicate with anyone. He felt completely isolated, and he encountered a missionary who had been uh, going in and out of the prison for some time. Uh, that missionary was the only um, uh, non-Spanish-speaking missionary, the only European missionary that was at work in that prison. And she happened to be Swedish, and she led Jonas to Christ. Now, I don't think it's a coincidence that Jonas was the only European man in that prison. He was from Sweden. And the only European missionary that was going into that prison was from Sweden, in Bolivia. What are the chances of that? I don't think that's a coincidence. We know that when God wants to reach us, very often he'll bring us into contact with a particular person who will speak into our lives in a very powerful way. So I wouldn't be at all surprised to, know, uh, to learn that Onesimus had stumbled across Paul in Ephesus or wherever it was that Paul was in prison. But however it happened, God brought these two men together and Paul led Onesimus to Christ. So Onesimus is now a Christian, but he's still a runaway slave. And this is extremely serious. He may as well have murdered someone. That's the kind of trouble he was in. Let me read you an extract uh, about runaway slaves. It says this, Rome forbade the harboring of fugitive slaves and professional slave catchers were hired to hunt down runaways. Advertisements were posted with precise descriptions of escaped slaves and offered rewards. If caught, fugitives could be punished by being whipped, burnt with iron, or killed. Those who lived were branded on the forehead. And then it goes on to describe how many escaped slaves were fitted with metal collars that were riveted around their necks. They found one and it had engraved on it, I am an escaped slave. If found, send me back to such and such a master. And I think all this builds up a picture for us. So we can see the kind of predicament that Onesimus is in. He's in very serious trouble. So what is Paul's solution? 
What ought to be done? Well, Paul sends Philemon the letter that we're reading today, and he begins with his customary greeting. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. When Christians greeted and greet one another, they say grace. When Jews greet one another, they say peace. Paul says grace and peace to you. And then he goes on to thank God for the love that Philemon has shown to God's people. He says, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. He's saying it's so good to see that the outworking of your faith is this tremendous love that you have for God's people. And we can see where Paul is going with this, can't we? He's not yet mentioned Onesimus, but Onesimus is now a follower of Jesus. He's now included in God's people who Philemon loves so much. And then Paul tells Philemon that he could order him to do what he ought to do, but he'd rather appeal to him on the basis of love. Paul is not saying, I command you to to behave in this way, in this situation. Paul is saying, if you love me, then listen to what I have to say and decide for yourself what you ought to do. We've all heard the old adage, give a man a fish and he'll eat for a day, teach a man to fish, and he'll eat for a lifetime. Well, this is more a case of give a man a command and he may do what he ought to do in that particular instance, but teach a man or a woman to think Christianly and they'll be able to make godly decisions over the course of their whole life. And now Paul gets to the crux of the matter. He's sending Onesimus back, but he's not sending him back as a runaway slave. He's sending him back as his own dear son. Twice, Paul calls Onesimus his son. Paul says, I'm sending him who is my very heart back to you. Such an impassioned plea that he makes. You know, the, um, the name Onesimus actually means useful. And so in verse 11, Paul says, Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. It's like a play on words. And uh, it's obvious that Onesimus has been a huge support and encouragement and comfort to Paul in prison. Paul's saying, look, Onesimus has arrived here to me. He's come to Christ. And now he's like a son to me. I'd love to keep him here with me. But if I did that, it would be without your consent, without your agreement. And that would be wrong. Now, we might say, yeah, but slavery is so obviously wrong. Philemon shouldn't have had slaves in the first place. Why, is Paul, uh, why did Paul feel so compelled to send Onesimus back? Well, we're going to get to that. There's a couple of things I want to look at first. And the first thing is this. Paul suggests that this is not simply a story of a rebellious runaway slave. This is a story of God working out his purposes in three men. Onesimus, Paul, and Philemon. And this leads us into the new status that Onesimus has. He is a fellow man, a child of God, a beloved brother in the faith. Paul says, perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. Isn't the gospel amazing? There was a time when Paul was a self-righteous, superior, exclusive, legalistic Pharisee who looked down his nose at everyone 
And Onesimus was a reviled slave with no status whatsoever, considered by many to be less than human. And now through Christ, they have this father-son relationship, this loving relationship. Such amazing bonds of love where the world couldn't possibly forge them. This is the wonder of the gospel. It'd be hard to overstate the significance of this. This would be like Donald Trump and a homeless, uh, illegal immigrant from Mexico having the closest possible relationship, like a father and son. You can't imagine it, can you? In the world, uh, in the worldly, uh, worldly terms, uh, completely impossible, but in Christ, the norm, essential even. Before the cross, we are all equal. Paul, Onesimus, and Philemon were all sinners in need of God's grace, just as we are. All of them were equally loved and of equal worth and value in God's sight. And all of them had a part to play in God's redemptive purposes. All of them had a part to play in God's plan for the renewal of creation. And that applies to us too. Before God, we are all equal. And we all have a part to play in God's cosmic plan. You have a God-given role that is specifically for you. No one else can fulfill the role that God has for you. You know, there are some who say that Paul wasn't radical enough. They say, well, why didn't he, uh, why didn't he start a revolution against slavery? Uh, they argue that by sending Onesimus back to his master, Paul was endorsing slavery. Now, uh, from a Christian perspective, slavery is a hideous evil. And it always has been, and it always will be. And from a Christian perspective, we should all want to see slavery completely eradicated. But the question is, at this point in time and in this place, the question is how? How is it done away with? Let me try and illustrate what slavery was like in the ancient world. So in the modern world, we couldn't suddenly say, right, we're going to get rid of cars and trucks and buses and aeroplanes because they're bad. They burn fossil fuels, they pollute the environment. We're going to get rid of them and we're going to get rid of them all today. You can't, you can't change the way the world functions overnight. Like it or not, for the time being, we're reliant on cars. Uh, we're stuck with them. And in the ancient world, it was a very similar situation with slavery. As abhorrent as slavery is, it was ingrained in the infrastructure of the Roman world. It wasn't something that could be just undone overnight. And even if you could just, just stop it instantaneously, that would then leave uh, all of these slaves, uh, hundreds of thousands of them, without any means of income or making a living or getting food and shelter. It, it just couldn't all be unpicked like that. But Paul makes it clear that even though slavery was the norm, in Christ, this dehumanizing barrier is removed and it's replaced with the closest and the most loving relationship possible. You know, when a master starts to see his slave as a beloved member of the family, you know that slavery is on its way out. If not in society as a whole, then certainly in the Christian communities where these bonds of love are being forged. That is how uh, Christianity abolishes slavery. As Paul writes in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, 
neither slave nor free, nor is, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now we know that slavery exists in the modern world. It's probably more prevalent than at any other point in history. Uh, but it's not something that most of us are likely to encounter or be involved with. So how does this letter speak to us today? Well, we might not know any slaves, but within our society, there is a definite pe- pecking order. I'm not talking about the role we play. We all have different roles to play in the workplace, in the family, in the church, in the sports team. There's nothing wrong with that. To achieve anything collectively as human beings, we need a variety of people in a variety of roles. But what is wrong, what is wrong, is that we place different values on people, as if one person can be more valuable than another. And very often, uh, particularly in an area like this, a person's value in the world's eyes is closely linked to their income, their net worth, their wealth. It's not talked about. For most people, it probably doesn't arise as a conscious thought, but it is tacitly accepted, and we see it in the way that people treat one another. There may not be any slaves in Springfield, but there are certainly people who are looked down on by others. And this absolutely must not happen in the church because we know there is no grounds for doing so. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ. Before the cross, there is a level playing field. We are all one in Christ Jesus. There is no difference. We may have different roles, but we are equally loved and equally valued by God and by one another. But of course, this is not a license to treat anyone outside the church as a second-class citizen. Everyone is made in the image of God. Everyone is infinitely valuable to God, and that's how we should see people. And we want people, all people, to come into the church and experience the depth of relationship that is possible in Christ. Now, there's one more uh, aspect of this letter, this situation that I want to look at today. The, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is not just something that we know in our heads. It's not, a, it's not an intellectual idea that we've got to, 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 to grapple with and, uh, and work out. It's also something that we live out. It's something that we demonstrate with our lives, and Paul uh, demonstrates this perfectly. You, you know, this is the only letter where Paul doesn't talk about the death and resurrection of Jesus. This is the only letter where Paul doesn't talk about the reconciliation that is now possible between human beings and God. And the reason that Paul doesn't spell out the gospel in those terms, he doesn't need to, because he's living it out. He's demonstrating it. Paul says this to Philemon about Onesimus. He says, if he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. You see, Paul stands between Onesimus and Philemon, bringing reconciliation. And who will pay for this reconciliation? Who who will pay the cost of it, this uh, renewed relationship? Paul will. And that's what Jesus does for us. He stands between us and God, and he offers to pay what we owe so that we can be brought back into a right relationship with our Father in heaven. Onesimus had wronged his master. We've wronged our master. Onesimus had deserted his master. 
we've deserted our master. Onesimus deserved to be punished. Well, actually, we might, I think we'd want to say that sl- slavery is wrong. Onesimus had run away. He'd escaped from it. So uh, Onesimus didn't deserve to be punished. Uh, be that as, is, as it may, we do deserve to be punished for our rebellion against God, our sin and our wrongdoing. Onesimus found the gospel. He put his hope and his trust in Jesus. So have we. Onesimus was wonderfully changed. Uh, we've been wonderfully changed. We might not feel like it sometimes. But a lot of the time I don't feel like I've been wonderfully changed. I'm sure that's the same for, for all of us. Uh, but we know that if we keep focused on Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will, over time, be changed and transformed. It's an ongoing process. Paul now intercedes for Onesimus. He stands between him and Philemon so that Onesimus can be restored to the family, not as a slave, but as a beloved son or brother. Jesus intercedes for us so that we might be adopted into God's family. Paul appeals for Onesimus' past offenses to be forgiven. Jesus does the same for us. Paul says, if he has done any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. Jesus stood between heaven and earth, between God and humankind, and he said, whatever they've done wrong, charge it to me. And so it is that Jesus hung on a cross for your sin and for mine. That is the gospel. And Paul lived it out. And we too are called to live out the gospel in our daily lives. And one of the ways that we can do that is by loving one another as equals in God's family. Just as Paul loved Onesimus as an equal, as a dear son. And he urged Philemon to do the same. And you know, the thing is with this letter, um, is we, we don't know what happened. We're not told. Uh, but the fact that this letter appears in the New Testament canon, uh, I think, is strong uh, evidence, a strong indication that Philemon did as Paul had uh, urged him to do. These bonds of love that are formed within the church are, are formed uh, in a way and to a depth that simply cannot happen uh, without the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that you give each of us uh, a role to play in your cosmic plan. There's no greater privilege than serving you, than allowing our lives to be molded and shaped by your will. And we thank you that we are all equal before the cross. We are sinners in need of forgiveness. None of us have any uh, higher value or lower value. We are of equal worth and value. We thank you for that. And we pray that this is how we will live our lives. uh, That we will have such love between one another. And that we will have such love for the world. And we pray that, Lord, that uh, this will be a tremendous example and a witness to the, to, to the community, to the world at large. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.